chapter 3. I'm going to talk to you about when God is in the darkness. God of Job sort of seemed to be eclipsed by the troubles. There's some days where God's just bright and beautiful in your life, and God's just there and just seems to be blessing you. And then there's some times where you, you, something comes between you and God. And not always sin. It's not always sin in your life that, that'll come between you and God. So when we come to Job chapter 3, again, we're trying to see, we're trying to understand God. And so it's kind of hard to understand God when he's not visible, when he sort of is, is kind of behind something. So, uh, as I said over these past few weeks as we've been doing the book of Job, it's not just about Job's troubles and his sufferings. It's also about God. Because Job reveals the character of God. Sometimes you figure out some things by comparing Scripture with Scripture because some of his friends have some really twisted ideas about God. But let me say this. Job has some twisted ideas about God. And they're all going to be ironed out in the furnace of affliction. That is... That is one of the main reasons why God sometimes puts you through the mill, sometimes through the valley, because it's in that valley, in that time when the pressure's on, when the heat is on, when things are going wrong, that he's ironing out the wrinkles that are present in all of our lives. So, we learned about God. Even Job had to have some things fixed, because he didn't just talk to God in, in Job chapter 38 and say, and God says, you know, Job, you were just right. You understood me perfectly. No, God rebuked Job and said, you had it wrong, Job. So, we're going to talk about that as we go through. By way of review, chapter 1 tells you about the character of God. Chapter 2 tells you about the spiritual battle going on, and Job never knew that that was happening. As a matter of fact, God didn't even tell him, Job, you don't realize how much the devil wants to kill you. Never told Job that. He doesn't find out that until much later, maybe, or in, in the pages of the Bible. But the spiritual battle that's going on, we're in now in chapter 3. And here we discover four, chap four questions that Job has about God that, that needs answered when everything, including God, seems so dark. So, here in chapter 3, there are three things that uh, we've already talked about. And uh, Job, just please, don't, don't sanitize your Bible, which means this. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't ignore the reality of the agony and the depths of sorrow of some of God's people in the Bible. You read Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith. And it sounds so great to just live by faith. But as you go along, it says, Some were sawn asunder. <laughs> some lived out their lives in caves and dens, in, in, in uh, sheepskin clothes, and uh, in deep poverty. <clears throat> not accepting uh, deliverance. So when you come in here, you're looking at a man who's in the depths of defeat. He has gone through disaster after disaster. He is absolutely discouraged. And I'm glad God picked a man to take him to the bottom so that he could relate to everyone. You ever figured out why God became a man? So that everyone could relate to him. Because I can't relate to God. So God came down down at the lowest. He had no money. He owned absolutely nothing. The only thing that Jesus ever owned were the clothes on his back. 
As he taught, he never charged. As he healed, as he ministered, nobody could ever minister back. He lived his whole life empty. The Bible says, according to Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows. Not, he wasn't, it's not that he was a sorrowful man. He didn't go around like all the stations of the cross have him, where it's like he's just, he's eaten four lemons. Uh, Jesus was acquainted with grief. He felt what it was like at the bottom. And Job is absolutely discouraged so that anybody who goes through discouragement can go to the book of Job and go, that's me. <laughs> and go, all right, tell me how to get through this thing. So he feels that there's no way he could have gone lower. <laughs> Chapter 4 will introduce him to another layer <clears throat> of collapse. We've also looked at last time that uh, chapter 3 shows us what God seems like in the darkness. And when I said uh, that God seems very different when things are dark. If you're driving in your car and you're going through the day and bright sunny day, you know what you're doing? Hopefully as a Christian, you're singing, you know, um, uh, you're singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You're going along fine. Beautiful day, birds singing, you join in with them. God seems so good. But when the devil's got his fist and his grip around you and it is dark and it's 3 a.m. in the morning and you feel like the whole world's collapsing in you, you're going, what happened? So in the dark times, God seems different. You say, I, I don't sense God. I don't even believe God like I do in the daytime. And that's why God allows cycles in your life to convince you things go up and things go down, but God never changes. In the dark times, God cannot be seen. Even in the daytime, God cannot be seen. But it reminds you that God dwells in the darkness. And so, does that encourage anybody? That in the dark times, when you think he's not there, that's where he's been all along. Amen. We also learned that um, um, uh, we, don't ha we have to get used to not seeing and knowing God in the things that we experience. So, if, if somebody got a million euros deposited into their bank tomorrow and it was a gift from some unknown benefactor, would you feel blessed? If you got a million euros just deposited into your bank account, would you feel like God must be smiling down on you? <laughs> of course you would. But that's because we allow our experience to, to define how we view God. And that is evil because your experience never tells you what God is. The scriptures tell you what God is like. And that is our truth that we hold on to because the majority of us will never get any money deposited in our account by an unknown benefactor. So, Job shows us what God is like in the dark times, and that is we don't have to know by experience. We just have to know by scripture. <clears throat> the third thing that we talked about last time was that Job in chapter 3 begins and he says, I wish I'd never been born. Curse the day, damn the day that I was born. Rip it out of the calendar. Let no one ever enjoy that day again. That's how low he feels. Now, he was not the first one that ever felt like that. I mean, he wasn't the first. He wasn't the last one. And he wasn't the only person. <clears throat> Let me read to you Jeremiah. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 20. O Lord, this is Jeremiah. Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art, a str thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. You win. 
I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried, violence and spoil was coming. He's warning everybody. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was like a fire, was in my heart like a, as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. I got, I got so worn out trying to hold back from speaking his word, and I could not stay. He goes on. He says, I had to keep preaching, but then he makes a statement. He says, okay, I will keep preaching, but listen to these words. In verse 14, he says, cursed be the day wherein I was born. Jeremiah feels just like Job. You know where Jeremiah is at this point? He's in a hole in the ground. He's in a pit. He's in a well, a dry well. He's been thrown down there by some of the magistrates in Jerusalem. They are surrounded by an army that's about to break through the walls. Jeremiah has been warning them, telling them, surrender, surrender. God will take care of you. Surrender. And they kept uh, abusing him and rejecting him. And now they've thrown him into a hole. And he says, and he's been through a lot. Cursed be the day that I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Cursed be the man that brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow? Why was I born? These are the same questions that Job's going to ask. So, let's get right into here. And Job asked four big questions in life that need answered. And I need you to pick up there in verse 11. Why don't you stand with me? Let's read chapter 3. Verse 11 to 26. <clears throat> As we read together, Job 3, verses 11 to 26. It's going to be a bit of reading, but pay attention to the words. Begin. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breasts that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or as a hidden, untimely birth I had not been, as infants which never saw light. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. You can be seated. Four big questions from the bottom of life. First one, why was I born? Why was I born? Why didn't I die 
at birth. What do we call that when the child is born but dies at that time? What do we call that? Or maybe is born already dead. What do we call that? Stillbirth. Here, stillborn, here is Job saying, I wish I had been a stillborn baby. I wish I could have been dead on arrival. I wish my eyes had never seen light. Why was I born? Why did somebody hold me on the knees when I was born? Why did people, why did they care about me? Why did they give me to my mother? Why didn't they just abandon me? He asked the second question. I'm going to ask you this question in a moment, but let's go on. He asked the second question. He says, why did God show me so much and teach me so much truth, and yet none of it helps me now? That is a critical thing. The longer you are a Christian, let me tell you, Christianity doesn't get any easier. And the truth that you think you know is never enough. You know why? Because only God will be enough. And your relationship with him is more important than your knowledge of him. Does that make sense? We can pile on the knowledge. We can pile on the information and think, now I'm okay. And it's just like a driver. Uh, let's see. Now, Yuming is learning to drive. Now, he's got a computer brain. It's in Chinese, but it's a computer brain. And so he piles in all the information. But information does not make a safe driver, does it? He's got to have some awareness. And no matter how much information you have from the book, you know, that we think that we get, your experience and your going out onto the roads could never prepare you for that instant when a child drop, uh, kicks his ball out into the road and 10 feet in front of you and you're traveling 30 miles an hour and he runs right out in front of you and all of a sudden you're trying to stop and you're just never ready for that. And the Lord brings stuff into your life that you thought Boy, I've been trained. I've gone to Bible college. I have a master's. And then the Lord says, let's see how your master's handles this. <laughs> and all of a sudden you go, why did I learn so much and it's not good enough? Because what if I could learn enough so that I don't need God, is that the goal? Even when I've learned everything I can, I still desperately need God. Now, I'm already ahead of myself. But he asked me, why do you show me so much? Look at verse 13 again. Here, Job 3, 13, he says, uh, I don't want to go all the way down there. Let me do um, uh, verse 20. Start at verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, dig for it more than hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Here's the key. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? So let's pretend that, that Yuming has mastered the rules of the road. I'm just picking on you, Yuming, so don't be embarrassed. Now go ahead. Anyway, uh, he, he's mastered the rules of the road, and he gets into the car, and he gets ready to go out uh, uh, with the driving instructor there with him, and he gets ready to go out, and four cars have blocked him in. And he can't move. He has taken the theory test. He has taken all of the, the, the 12 driving tests. He has prepared for this day, for the last how long you've been trying to prepare for your exam, I don't know, months and months, and he gets in the car, and he's hedged in, and he can't move. He can't go forward, he can't go back, he can't sneak out this way, he can't go over there. Why 
have you, God, brought me and taught me. I've been faithful to church. I have prayed. I have wept. I have pleaded. I have studied. I have memorized. And wham, I am stuck. Why'd you do this to me? That's how Job feels. He says, all the things that I know can't help me. I feel like, like I'm at zero. It's a good question. All the things you think you know are never going to be enough. It's who you know. That ship was sinking. The disciples were in the boat going across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. One time Jesus is in the back of the ship. What's he doing? Sleeping. Another time he's not there, but he's walking on the water coming to them. And each time they are rowing. They are a compass fisherman. They are breaking their back to make sure that that ship stays afloat and it's sinking. They're doomed. And Jesus says, but I'm here. Hold on to me. All right, third question he asks. He says, why does God keep bitter people alive? Look there in verse 20 again. Wherefore is light given unto him that is in misery? And why is life given unto the bitter in soul? Now the bitter in soul, verse 21, they long to die. So when, when, when there are nations in, our, in, in Europe where they are making euthanasia, so regular. I want you to understand there are people who want to die. There are countless numbers of people who just want to die. They, look what it says. They long for what? Death. But it cometh not. And they dig for it. It's like they're trying to find a way to die. And they dig for it more than hid, hid treasures. And they rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can finally find the what? The grave. So the third question is, why does God keep somebody who's bitter of soul? Why doesn't he just let them die? Wouldn't that be more compassionate? And the fourth question Job asks is, why does trouble come to those who don't want it? <laughs> Verse 25, he says, for the thing which I greatly feared... Is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of, it's come unto me. I was not in safety, neither I had rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. So why does trouble come when I don't want it? So all of these questions are the biggest questions of broken people. Unless you have some, some good answers for this, it will drive lost men and women to drink and to drugs and overdoses. You know why most people take an overdose? It's not because they're stupid. It's because they want to die. Somehow they've been hurt, and they're just, they just, they're seeking a way out. It will drive a carnal Christian back to the world. If you don't have good answers for these things, when you find yourself at the bottom, you'll find yourself back picking up a bottle. You'll find yourself back in some of the most filthy situations. You'll find yourself back in the world if you don't have and in your old sins. And these kind of questions at the bottom of life will strip down a Christian's confidence in themselves to nothing. You know what you'll feel like? A failure. If you don't have good answers to this, your life's at zero, and you'll go, I guess I failed. Mm. So, how would you answer? All of these questions are the biggest questions of broken people. How would you answer the first questions? 
If I were to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you, but I want you in your mind to start thinking, how would I answer that question? Why was I born? Why was Darren Louser born? To marry Sherry, right? <laughs> Can you answer the why of your birth? Some people say it was an accident. I remember as a kid, I had a bunch of, it's kind of funny, a bunch of my neighborhood friends, they all, I don't know how we got on the conversation of it, but one of the kids mentioned, my parents said I was an accident. <laughs> and a bunch of them said, so did my parents. <laughs> Why were you born? Were you an accident? Were you just part of nature? Or were you a gift from God? Could it be that even as an unsaved person, from the moment you were conceived, that you were purposed? from the start? Could it be before you were ever educated, before you ever showed any talent, before you ever made any money, that God purposed you? Could it be that you had a purpose in your birth? Is that possible? There's a great little meme, and it's got this guy, and he's shaking his fist at God, saying, God, why is there so much cancer? Why hasn't somebody invented um, cures for this disease and that disease? And God responds, you aborted them. Yeah. There are some people who should have been born that weren't. Why were you born? Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed thee, and God had already told Jeremiah this before Jeremiah wishes he had never been born, but God says this in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set you apart from everyone else, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I called you unto a great purpose. So think about yourself for a second. How, if I came up to you and says, why were you born, Bill? <laughs> it's a strange question, but to please God. Amen. And you do well. Job didn't feel like he was pleasing God. Job asked, what? Why, why did you let me live? But if he knew, I guess I have a purpose. Mm. I talk to older people all the time, usually Bill's age. And you know what their wonder, you know what their wonder is? I don't know why I'm still here. You better determine. If you're breathing, you have a purpose. Second question he asked that you need to answer why does God invest so much light and truth in you only for you not to be able to use it, any of it, when you're defeated? Why does God show you so much? Why? Look at how big that Bible is. I, reading it, studying it, this is my fourth Bible because the other ones wear out. But in, in 39 years, learning, memorizing, marking up, uh, taking notes and, and cross-referencing and writing notebooks after notebooks of study. And then, why is so much information given to me and it doesn't help me right now? Now, honestly, most of the time it will help you. Most of the time your Bible will help you through every day. But there are going to be some days where everything you believe will feel like zero. You feel like, and you have to have an answer why does God teach you so much only for you not to be able to rely on it? And the second thing that you, need to be, you ought to be able to answer is because growth needs you to change. If you are relying on what you know only, 
then when God puts a, a, a trouble in your life that you can predict, you don't have to do anything except just push some buttons, do some normal things, and you don't change. But when God puts you in a situation where what you learn is not enough and you have to reach out to God. I'm going to go ahead and give you a verse. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is not against you learning your Bible. I'm just, gonna, I'm just telling you the facts. Telling you the harsh truth that I don't care how mature and how knowledgeable you may get as, your, as a Christian. You need God. That's why, that's why you know, uh, ignorant people can be some of the happiest people in the world because they just have God, amen? <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be who? Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all knowledge, right? God of all comfort. Look at the next verse. Who comforteth us constantly. Comforteth is like saying he comforts us continually in all our what? So my tribulation is not handled my tribulation is there so I get comfort, so that I learn to rely on His comfort. What is another name for the Holy Spirit? So does the Holy Spirit just comfort me and coddle me and just caress me through my trouble? No. He's there for me to lean on as I choose to when I'm in that tribulation. And all the information I think I know is going to be a dead end sometimes. And I look to God and I say, God, I need you. I need you. Um, so he comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Third question, back in Job. Why would God keep you alive when you want so bad to die? Go to 1 Samuel in, in chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel, look at this word bitter here. I know we talk about bitterness like bitter anger, angry, anger but bitterness is not always a, a, a result of anger and wrath and bitterness and all that stuff. But this bitterness is such a, a, an agony of heart. And when you are in such bitterness of soul and you just want to die, why does God keep you alive? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is Hannah. And you've you got to laugh at, at Hannah because she's sad. I mean, she's grieving. Her husband notices, which is unusual. But her husband notices and says, you okay, honey? And she says, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> when a woman says she's fine, she's not. So in verse 8 it says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Hey, look who you married. I mean, he's, he's trying to cheer her up, but it doesn't work. Verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in... 
bitterness of soul. And where do you find her? Wanting to die? No. And she prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. And that's when, in that bitterness, she would never have come to this place where she was able to surrender to God. God, I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to wait on you. And if you give me a son, he's yours. And I will gladly raise him to serve you all his life. Look at what she says. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, if you notice that I'm hurting over here, and if you remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. He would be a Nazarite. So why would God keep you alive when you so badly want to die? Well, to get you to work through your bitterness and get back to God. What does bitterness do for you? How many of you have ever been so low, so discouraged, so defeated that you didn't want to pray? I bet some of you aren't being honest. You just couldn't pray. And you think, why pray? But she's an example of when you have nothing else to do and you're, you're in bitterness of soul, it's to drive you to prayer. Isn't that funny how we have been, our culture has been so driven so that the last thing we do, if we ever think about it, is even pray. When the Lord is allowing and pushing us through that bitterness back to himself. Because bitterness is a wall. I mean, if two people are bitter at each other, they'll never talk to each other. But when you're bitter about life, you're not going to talk to God easily. But if you push through, look out for answers. God will give you answers. So why would God keep you alive when you so badly want to die? Because he's trying to teach you to get through that and you will have a deeper, more real relationship beyond that. I'll give you an example of a runner. Some people in here, you, uh, you run. But people who go through uh, uh, marathons, now I've only done a marathon once and it nearly killed me. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to do it again. 26 it's 26 miles or 26 kilometers? I don't even remember now. 26 miles, yeah. And something happens at around 18, 19 miles. Your body just shuts down. You feel like you're wet spaghetti. You are struggling. Now, in my race, there were times where you'd run and then you'd walk and then you'd run. So it wasn't all. So I never felt this thing at 20 miles. But coming up to 20 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 20 miles of the marathon, there is a wall that you hit. And anybody who, who really regularly runs will tell you, it's, you cannot, uh, you cannot um, uh, you know, escape it. Everybody either stops in and collapses and says, I can't do it, or they push through it. And when they push through that 20 mile wall, they get another they call it the second wind. You ever heard of that? Now, none of us will probably ever experience that, all right, physically. But you better learn to experience it spiritually where when you've hit that wall and you just want to quit and you just want to give up and you just want to stop, you just want to die, press on a little further. You know how you win in boxing? You stay up just a little longer than your opponent. You only need to stay up just a little longer. And when the devil's pummeling you and when the world is crushing down on you, just go a little further. And on the other side of whatever that pain is, 
would be a better relationship with God. Notice, what we're learning from Job is that God wants us close to him, and he has designed a way to work us as sinners. Because if we were perfect, he wouldn't have to do trials and troubles and tribulations through us. But because of sin, he's going to have to refine us. He has to put us through these things so that we have such a strong relationship with him. So when you want to die, that's when you say, but i got to press on just a little bit further because I know my relationship with the Lord will be sweeter. Last question he asks. Why does trouble come to people who are so hard trying to do right? Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And I hope that in this room there are people who try, are trying very hard to do right, even when you have no reason to do right other than the fact God tells you to. You just There's no benefit. You're not, you're, you're, you, you, you're not going to get a pay raise. Why would you do right and yet everything go wrong constantly, and, and in the space of everything going wrong constantly? Why does trouble come when you're trying to do so right? Well, the first reason is because God knows what he's doing. There, chapter 29, verse 11, 29 and 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a what? An expected end. So when God brings trouble into your life, and yeah, the devil will throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink. But ultimately, it's God that's in charge, and why does he do it? Only answer is, he knows what he's doing. That's the only reason why. Why do some people go through, here's the question, why does one person go through such hell in earth, on, on earth, health-wise, financial-wise, and they're doing so they're so careful to do things right, to be honest, to, to, to be givers, to, to just love people, to serve. And there's somebody over here who's living like the devil, and, and everything's just coming at him. Why? God knows what he's doing. There is no better answer than God will iron it out. God will iron it out. Secondly, because the devil needs to find out if you're for real. You know what he looks, when he looks at you and me, you know what he goes? You know what he says? Fraud. Faker, hypocrite. And so the pressure comes on, and he wants, he wants to be proven true that you're not for real. That you really don't love God, you only love yourself. You don't really love souls, you only love their praise. You don't really love the church, you just like what's convenient. And so everything comes against you, everything pushes against you, and the devil goes, see, I told you, God, they're not for real. And why God allows you to have trouble when you didn't go looking for it? because the devil needs to find out if you're for real. All of these questions are, at this point, in Job's life, are unanswerable. Job has no idea why he's been born. Job has no idea why God has taught him so much, why he has learned so much about him, and yet he can't use any of it. Job has no idea why God was keeping him alive, and Job had no idea why trouble comes to him when he was afraid. He just, he, he was afraid to lie, is what he's saying. He was afraid to steal from somebody. He was afraid to do wrong. Wouldn't that be a good way to live? Amen. Be great if we would be terrified of sinning willfully. And yet trouble came. He has no idea about that. 
you and I have no excuse because we do have an idea why. Now, there are some things Job is very wrong about in this chapter. Number one, he's basically saying that a miserable life is no life at all. And guess what? That is a lie. Or else children that are born with a defect and might not be loved by their parents, that's not a life at all. You see my point? You see, when we start to value life based on circumstances and upon whether we're loved or whether we have all four appendages of our arms and our legs, whether, did you know, there was, there was, if, if people who were born, or not born, if people who were born blind really don't have a quality of life and shouldn't, be alive, shouldn't have to live, then we would never have a third of the hymns in our hymnal by a woman named Frances Crosby. If people who ended up in young age with, with deafness, if their quality of life was, was, was not good enough to be counted among all the rest of the people, we would not have a Beethoven. When we start to quantify and say, so-and-so, they're blind, so-and-so, they're crippled, so-and-so, they, 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 they are bedridden, they are stuck in bed, they'll never come out of bed, they're really, they shouldn't have to live. That's what Job was struggling with. He said, why am I alive? He's got this idea that a miserable life is no life at all. Let me tell you, that is a wrong, that is a lie. All of life is precious, even the life that is miserable. Every life is a priceless life. Did you know, uh, I, I learned this, I think, in Bible college, and I never got over it. Right? Now follow me. You are not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. That is a world of difference. You are a soul that is encased in a body. And your body may be defective. But you are a soul, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your, your quality of life does not define the value of your life, okay? And Job is struggling with this, and he's wrong. He's saying, a miserable life is no life at all. I wish I could just die. Don't believe that, because then you go down the path where you say, well, you know, that, that unborn child is not going to be loved, not going to be wanted. Let's just abort it. Oh, this old person, they're stuck in bed. They've already had a hip replacement, and they still can't walk. Let's just let them die. Because a miserable life is no life at all. That is wrong, and Christians should never vote on the side and should never side with euthanasia or abortion. Amen. Secondly, that he was wrong about. To have, been born would, to have not been born would have been better. Hmm. He's very wrong. He says, it would have been better if I had just been stillborn. I would have been at rest. Really? Do you know what he would have missed? He would have missed marrying his wife. He would have missed 10 babies being born and being there and rejoicing at his children. He would have missed the thrill of farming and success in, 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 in industry, he would have missed the joy of watching a sunrise and a sunset. He would have missed the colors of the sky and the smells of, 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 of the farm, most of the smells. He's very wrong to think it would have just been better if I had not been born. No, no, no. 
You have no idea what you'll miss. There is life to be had, folks. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have what? Life. There is life and there is to, to be had. So when the devil's got you where you just want to die, slap yourself and go, no, 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 no. It would not have been better if I had never been born. Third, light and education and knowledge and wisdom, he thought, should only mean a better life. And oftentimes that's true. Educated people, and when I say that, I mean people who are taught to think. I'm not talking about where they're just programmed. I'm talking about where they are taught. They're not just let to play. I know some parents set their kids in front of what are these programs on TV? You know, Jelly Tubbies. I don't know. And, um, uh, you know, they're sitting in front of the TV all day long and they say, well, my little junior is, is just whatever he wants to be, whatever he wants to do. He's so creative. Yeah, there's coloring all over the walls in the entire house. That's not education. Teach a child to read and read absolutely everything they get their hands on. And, and they'll, they'll actually be better off than the person who never learns to read that doesn't mean that you have to, but you've got to learn to think for yourself. You've got to learn to make some decisions and stick by them. You've got to have character and learning, whether it's from books or from experience, uh, uh, apprenticeship. It doesn't matter, but you learn because generally people who go to school and learn and are challenged and take tests and are stressed out and have to learn volumes of books and studies are better, but that's not always true. Job says, I've learned everything I can and it didn't help me. So I guess it was a waste of time. And that's not true. That's not true at all. That's why we're supposed to come. That's why church is a place where Jesus, it says he taught them. And then he taught them. Jesus was so passionate when he said to his disciples, he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Because they need light, they need truth, they need help, they need education, scriptural, spiritual education. That's why I wish one of these days we could start a Christian school. Because I believe in that. The educational system out there has been dead for the last 20 years. Boy, don't write it off as, I don't think anybody needs to go to school. No, no. But it's not always true that that will save you from trouble. It'll save you from a lot of it. Last point. What we fear always comes to pass. <laughs> you ever hear that? You ever hear that phrase where it said, well, you, and, and it's true. If, 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 and I mean, Yuming is still my example here for a second. If Yuming was always afraid of, of a car coming into his lane, and if that was his fear, that a car is going to come into his lane and hit him head on. You know what that's going to make Yuming? A dangerous driver. <laughs> because he's going to be expecting it the whole time. And generally it's true that what you fear usually comes to you. Amen. But not always. It's not. He's believing in things that aren't absolute truths. Now let me tell you the four things that he does know that are true. Things that he's very right about. Number one, that God is the right person to ask these things of. He, throughout the rest of this book, is going to cry out to God. He's going to ask for an audience with God. At least he's got the idea that he doesn't need to go to a priest. At least he's got the idea that he doesn't need to go to his mother. At least he's got the idea that he doesn't need to go anywhere except to God. And that's a good thing. 
So, when, when you find yourself saying, I just don't feel like going to church, let me tell you, that's when you need to go. Oh, I just don't need to read my Bible. I just don't feel like it. God's the person you need to spend time with. And Job learns that. Well, he really knows that, and he says it over and over throughout these pages. Secondly, he's going to tell you that God's, been, God's there. I know he's there. I just can't see him. So at least he's got that right. And lastly, that suicide was not the answer. At least he had this idea. He said, he never said, I wish I could die. I wish I could kill myself. Let me put it that way. He never said, I wish I could kill myself. You know what he said? I wish I'd never been born. Why am I alive? Why do you keep me alive? He never once thought about suicide. At least he had that concept right. Amen? When the devil comes along and convinces you, and prayerfully that'll never cross your mind, but it crosses a lot of Christians' minds. Don't you think that a Christian would never think of suicide? Because if the devil knows a weakness in you, he will hammer it until it happens. At least Job got the idea, says, I'm not going to think about taking my own life because my life is not my own to take. Powerful, powerful. At least he got that right. He said very clearly, I just wish I'd never been born. All right, I'm racing. I'm trying to finish. There's a lot more that he's going to work through over these next 37 chapters. Chapter 3 is the beginning of the battle that Job's going to have with three things. Number one, with the will of God. How many like the will of God? Let me see your hands. When the will of God was for you, for you and here's, I'll just use, I love abusing people. Here's uh, 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 Ryan here, and Ryan meets Mrs. Wright. It's the will of God. Oh, there's no battle there, especially if she thinks you're Mr. Wright. So, but most of the time, the will of God is not that easy, is it? And he's going to battle with the will of God because the will of God is for him to have gone through this valley and to stay in it. He will battle with the weakness of his own flesh. Does Job just walk around going, I'm okay, I am awesome? He feels so weak, and he's battling with the weakness of his own flesh. And thirdly, he will battle with the wrong things he believes about God. That's why his friends will come, and like iron sharpening iron, they will challenge him, what does he really believe and what is really true? And those are not easy. They're not easy to deal with. So, it is a battle set for all ages, when I say that, for all time, so that every one of us readers can sit with Job and weep and listen and learn. Look at Romans 15, 4, and we'll finish. We already read 2 Corinthians, but Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, all the things that are written in the Old Testament, were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of those scriptures, that we might have hope. So, Job was set there so that we could come alongside, and when we're going through the same type of thing, we can weep with him and go, it's going to be okay. I've seen the end of Job, and it's good. Father, these are, these are the realities of the Christian life. We want to live on the mountaintop, but there are 
a lot of times that you want us to live in the valley because that's where we learn the most. That's, that's where you're closest to us, it seems. And that's when it is hardest. But the battle is worth it because we learn how to ignore our flesh, to ignore our, our limitations, and just cling to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you were the only person who ever was affected worse than Job. And you finished the course. You, didn't, you never asked, why were you born? Jesus, you never wished any harm on anyone who ever hurt you. You were able to say things that Job never could. And so, Lord, what we learned from Job is only a, a, a candle compared to the brightness of the life of Jesus. Thank you for giving us Jesus, Father. We've got Job, but we've got better with Jesus too. So thank you for this book of books. And I pray as we sometimes are facing those four questions, we ask ourselves, do I really know the answers? Lord, teach me how to answer those things when the devil pulls hard on my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.